It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show. You can hear us from 10 to 1, Monday to Thursday, on your DAB radio, smart speaker, on the Times radio app, or at times.radio, so you've really got no choice at all. But here on the podcast, we bring you the best bits. Uh, coming up, we've got PMQs Unpacked, when I'm joined by Tim Shipman to pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse in real time what on earth is going on between Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. But first, our columnists panel, and it's a Wednesday, so it must be Camp Alice. It's John Kavner and Alice Thompson. Let's start with uh, Donald Trump and ending... As he began doing things unexpectedly and against convention, all of that, spending his last day in the White House firing off pardons, in particular to uh, his controversial former advisor, Steve Bannon. Um, Steve Bannon, who uh, had been accused of defrauding, he set up a fund to raise money to build the build the wall uh, on the US-Mexico border. And uh, he's been charged with defrauding the American public over the use of those funds. He's pleaded not guilty. Donald Trump's given him a pardon. Uh, John, are you surprised, disappointed, um, shocked? What was your reaction to this news? None of the above, um, actually. Um, I think the last four years has told us, taught us anything. It's not to be surprised or disappointed or shocked by anything, uh, not least by, by Donald Trump. Everybody was expecting. I mean, to be honest, all presidents do do some pardons, um, this list, I mean, it's a sort of um, rogues gallery of sleaze. But um, I was looking, I actually had the pleasure of reading the entire statement from the press secretary regarding executive grants of clemency um, issued by the White House. I've done that so other people don't have to. And it's really weird because, I mean, Steve Bannon, everybody knows who he is. He's the sort of ideologue-in-chief um, of nativist populists and it was going around Hungary and Poland and other countries trying to sort of uh, whip up uh, far-right um, uh, sort of hate uh, politics. Um, and there are other ones there. I mean, um, co-founder of Death Row Records, uh, who served 32 years for attempted murder and cocaine trafficking and whose case was championed by rapper Snoop Dogg called... Um, Michael Harry O'Harris, 
um, and various people involved in uh, who you would never have heard of, nor and, and I would never have heard of, uh, involved in drug offences. It's a curious old list. It, it, does, it does maybe reflect sort of what, you know, in the end, just helping out the people who, who remained loyal till till the last. Alice, in the end, there weren't that many, were there? I mean, we've heard... Well, Anthony no, Scaramucci. that's the weird thing, is that actually we say it's an extraordinary thing for him to have done at the end, but, you know, President Clinton, it was 450, President Reagan, 339, President Carter, 534. And they mm. all did it. And it's always one of those things that you know, the British actually find rather stunning because... You know, we have a similar system, but not really with the House of Lords, where you can put some of your friends in at the end of your time. But we don't really do it on the same scale or in the same way. And it does seem almost medieval that you've got this ability um, to pardon those people that you want to. I mean, it is, it is staggering in some ways. But um, uh, I don't think you can say that for once that President Trump has done something that no one else has ever done and that is really, you know, astonishing just because it's been there before. And one or two, I, I think what's interesting is one of is uh, is some of the absences. Um, people were speculating that Julian Assange could be on it, or Edward Snowden holed up in Moscow, um, but none of those big surprises were on it. Which I don't know if that means that Trump was sat on um, by the security establishment. Um, a, a curious thought, but um, but so so there were no surprises really in any of it. I suppose the before, rappers were quite interesting, I was thinking. There's always yeah. the sort of weird ones that you can't quite understand why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, with Steve Bannon? Because, I mean, he's, he's got his case is ongoing. He, he's pleading not guilty. And Donald Trump giving him a pardon does sort of suggest, uh, it, 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 to some people it might imply that Donald Trump sees guilt where um, Steve Bannon's system isn't. I remember there was a story, I think it was towards the end of last year, one of the American papers reported it. Donald Trump was going around sort of offering pardons to p people in the White House. And they were sort of saying, well, I don't think I've done anything. Why <laughs> Why are you offering me a pardon? I wasn't aware that I'd done anything that, that would require um, such a thing. But yeah, it is. It's a, it's a strange quirk of American politics that the last yeah, all, all pardons lost in, the election. In, pardons in return for, for business deals. And also, curiously, there was speculation that he was going to pardon himself um, and his family, who, you know, he insists have done nothing wrong, but just in case, why not pardon them? Um, <laughs> which, which again, but he hasn't done that, which does set things up interestingly for the courts and for Congress and for Biden. Does Biden really want to move on and be the healer and just sort of say, Donald Trump, who's he? Uh, you know, let's forget about him, or um, will uh, hit the new White House go after Trump? And even if the White House doesn't go after Trump, there are enough in Congress who who really want to do so. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Mitch McConnell um, uh, is going to mass this morning with Joe Biden, which some people are reading into this, you know, that they are close, they're getting on. Joe, Mitch McConnell basically holds the key to whether or not uh Donald Trump is convicted uh, of uh, that incitement of the of the riot at the Capitol, uh, which would exclude him from running again for for office. And it does feel like, somewhat belatedly, some might say those Republicans have um, have, have found their voice. Uh, someone else has found their voice this morning, or at least uh, yes. She's written anyway in the Daily Mail today. Theresa May, Theresa May, um, uh, hitting out at Boris Johnson, accusing him of abandoning Britain's position of global moral leadership. Also reflecting a bit on her interactions with uh, with um, Donald Trump, hand holding literally at one point she describes it. Um, Alice, are you surprised by this? Is a bit late in the day for Theresa May. 
Well, actually, she does come out every now and again. The last time she did it was about the new lockdown. And um, then she said that it would shatter livelihoods. And actually, in that case, she has been proved wrong that we did need another lockdown. Um, so she's she's quite a regular occurrence now. And in many ways, I do understand, and she must be incredibly frustrating for her to be followed by Boris Johnson, who in many ways she feels is even worse and probably was. And she may have done a better job with the vaccination programme and she may not have dropped the 0.7% um, commitment um, for aid. But I think she's right on the 0.7% commitment. I think to expect Boris Johnson to be very moral is rather surprising from her. Um but I think the hard thing for her is going to be on the vaccination programme, when I do think the government is trying to do everything they can. I also think that at some stage uh, there needs to be recognition of what goes right as well as what goes wrong. And she can end up looking just too embittered and too um, sort of angry still from the backbenches. I think the statesmanlike um actually John Major was very good at this in a way that he just came in on events when he really felt he needed to. I think that's probably a better way for former leaders and prime ministers. Yeah, I suppose the thing, if, if, if you take up one issue which you campaign on, that's one thing. But if, if the, it, it does feel sometimes a bit, uh, John, as if the, the issue she's, she's campaigning on is it she doesn't like Boris Johnson and uh, uses whatever is currently around as a sort of stick to beat him with. I was also quite struck in her piece in the Mail today. She says, uh, I know from experience that leaving power is not easy especially when you feel that there's more you want to do. Uh, but anyone who is, uh, has the honour of serving such a position must always remember the office is bigger than the individual. And uh, I mean, she did cling on for quite a while as well. There some quite turbulent times and people calling for her to go. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't quite the same as, you know, lo having lost... Uh, uh, I remember when she did, essentially, she lost a majority in the election and clung on uh, then. I mean, obviously, our constitution is slightly different. But so I, I do think her taking the moral high ground over Donald Trump on that is... Um, Slightly interesting. But um, do, do you think that less is more when it comes to former prime ministers, John? Uh, no, I'm with Alice on. I mean, uh, John Major is a curiosity. He was disparaged a lot for his time as a prime minister. But uh, after he left, he really grew in gravitas. I, actually, I got to know John Major pretty well over the last several years. I've seen him quite often. And, and I think he's a man of... of immense stature but that's not how he is remembered for his time in office i think his campaigning on uh, on brexit uh, pretty much if you go back on any of john major's speech and i had to host a, um, one of them pretty much every single thing he's he predicted and everything he warned against in a very measured tone in a very unembittered way has turned out to be correct but when i think of theresa may scrapping with Boris Johnson. I just think of two rather sort of unsalubrious people having a go at each other in the pub. I, I don't see any, you know, it's one of those ones where you, you feel extraordinarily little, or at least I do, sympathy for either. There is a sort of twisted <laughs> and bitter element in, in Theresa May about all of this. But I mean, Boris Johnson, alongside Donald Trump, his best mate, uh, now uh, he seeks to forget that, spent a huge amount of time openly undermining Theresa May. So she also is quite justified in feeling the resentments that she feels. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because the irony that David Cameron left the House of Commons because he felt that he couldn't deal every day with everything he said and did undermining Theresa May. And he, he um, you know, wanted to, her to have the, the strongest possible sort of uh, start to the job. And, you know, it was a difficult enough job without somebody carping, you know, the sort of backseat driver. 
Uh, and yet, that's not a, uh, a gift that Theresa May is giving Boris Johnson. She's definitely st- sticking in there and uh, sticking the boot in um, increasingly regularly. Uh, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about your column today, uh, Alice, uh, which I know is sort of it's it's connected to your uh, your show here on Times Radio with uh, um, Rachel Sylvester, uh, Past Imperfect, where you you interview prominent people in the in the public eye about their childhoods and the impact uh, it, that's had on them in you know later in life, but drawing a parallel with the fact that kids today are going through pretty tough experiences too. Um, that's one of the best things actually about the last year is having done this podcast, uh, Past Imperfect, and talked to a lot of people who had really dire childhoods, many of them had lost parents or had been very ill. Um, it was fantastic in some ways just because they did always draw parallels almost with um, what's going children are going through today. And they are going through, you know, they're not often losing parents, but they are losing grandparents, relatives, they're having a very tough time. They're stuck at home at school. Um, And I think it's very, very difficult for them. Um, And I think the only way you can feel better about this is to feel that maybe they're getting some resilience out of this. And is this something that you've come across, John, people who've had tough childhoods going on to success in public life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's quite a, and and conversely, people who've had rather easy Mm -hmm. childhoods being a little bit sort of loose and um i know these kind of great generational sweep categorizations um are flawed and the snow you know alice was juxtaposing this new grit generation z generation with with the um somewhat uh entitled snowflakes of uh, the millennials but i do think there's quite a lot in it um there was a generation you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm a sort of, even though I'm, I'm on the centre left, I'm a child of Thatcher. And I just believed in just getting on with things. Um, career stuff at the beginning was, was tough. Uh, people were, didn't hold back in their criticism of you. And you just got on with it. Um, and at the same time, of course, there's a lot of good developments in, in, in the present day. But I think everything got a little bit overly soft. Uh, and... I, th- I only feel for for young people now. I mean, I think every time I'm feeling grumpy about things and being locked up at home and all of that, I just think, God, what must it be like to be a sort of 16 to 25-year-old? I've got two daughters in their 20s and they're really feeling it. Yeah, no, it's really, really, it's really, really tough. And yeah, I, I, your column I thought, I thought was really interesting today, Alice, on the, on, uh, I suppose it's the generational thing, isn't it? It's, it's individuals who have something awful happen to them. You know, they're their uh, close family or friends or school, you know, that, that, that's, people can come around and help them. But when it's everyone in society is going through the same thing, it's not, well, you know, we can't, all, we can't rally around everyone, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, everyone's sort of trying to rally around themselves. And I suppose that's the risk that it might end up being a more widespread impact. Although, actually, funnily, that helps in some ways. So I remember doing Arlene Foster, who uh, nearly died three times when she was um, in growing up in Northern Ireland. And I remember her saying that actually, if other people were going through difficult times, it didn't feel quite so bad because you didn't feel you were being singled out in some terrible way. Yeah, so yeah, maybe yeah, that yeah. is one benefit. Yeah. Is at least you don't feel it's just happening to your family. You realise that all children are going through the same sort of, um, I mean, in different ways. And maybe some are luckier than others, but everyone is going through this experience, which maybe in some ways makes it just slightly better. Oh, that's really interesting. Do you say, do you say is that Arlene Foster this week? 
So on in Boston. No, she she talked to us last time, and actually, I think she's going to talk to us again um, for the podcast because before she did it as an interview. But she she's had the most extraordinary story because she just. You know, she nearly got blown up on a bus. Her father um, got targeted by the RA and nearly died. And she had to rescue him. And she was only seven then and she was put in a safe house. And she went through so much. And I remember as we were doing the interview, um, one of her children rang up because they forgot their pee bag for school and they were complaining. <laughs> and she did say often, you know, the difference in two generations uh, between losing yeah. your pee bag and maybe losing your father was just so extreme. You almost had to laugh about it. Yeah, Alice, can I ask you a question? Are we allowed, Matt? Yeah. Or are we running out yeah, of time? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, no, just a quick question. I mean, in, in your podcast and when you do your, your many brilliant interviews with Rachel, are you um, – you often get the sense – we were talking about Theresa May. Um, I don't know Arlene Foster, but she always comes across as particularly sort of unlovable, um, just a very sort of hard, tough uh, person. Her, I, I found that whole – DUP relationship with uh, the government really problematic and just there's very little of her that you, that makes you think um, anything positive particularly positive about her so I suppose it's the sexism question is that classic sexism sort of women without charisma uh, Theresa May and others are treated uh, worse by people like me than than the equivalent men. No, I think funnily actually, what's interesting to me is that when we interview people, it's often the people you think you're going to dislike that actually you do really warm to. And Arlene Foster is a classic case of someone you thought was going to be really tough and really difficult, and is actually a really genuinely warm, mm. funny, entertaining woman. And she's very good friends with Ruth Davidson, which sort of says quite a lot that they actually both mm. got on very well together. Yeah, um, yeah and yeah. joked, but whereas actually they both found Theresa May um, and Nicola Sturgeon much more difficult, and they are much colder women. I think. I don't think it's a sex issue. I think there's quite often there's a um, there's a disconnect between people who seem very cosy and cuddly in real life, and um, who actually, when you interview, aren't and are actually totally ruthless. And people who come yes, across—that's a really good point. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, some, I mean, you could say that sort of slightly applies to Boris Johnson as well. You know, in person, exactly. it doesn't quite live up to the character. Um, so, who is on this week, Alice? Before I let you go. And this week, we've just had Professor Green, who is the um, rapper Rapper. and his extraordinary story of his father committing suicide. And his mother left when he was one. So he was brought up by his great grandmother, actually, and his grandmother. And many of his songs about it, like Read All About It. Um, But he was really candid and very honest about just the sort of ghastliness of it all but also about why he feels in fact he even has a tattoo saying lucky why he feels so lucky to overcome it <laughs> why he feels there is a real importance in being resilient john campner and alice thompson there and of course you can read them both online at thetimes.co.uk and if you don't yet have a time subscription which i find very hard to believe you can put that right right now just go to the times click on something that takes your fancy put your details in and as a bonus you get your first month free coming up it's pmq's unpacked 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Cholley, and now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time on a Wednesday where we uh, head to the House of Commons. I'm joined as ever by Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times. Hi, Tim. Hello, Matt. I'm sort um, of wish it was Trump against Biden, really, but um, you know, there we <laughs> it's go. One of the quirks, I mean, I've, uh, lots of prime ministers said whenever they go around the world, other world leaders, but particularly US presidents, always say, I'm glad I don't have to do that thing uh, every <laughs> once a week against my uh, political opponent. Do we think that the events in America will come up at PMQs today? Keir Starmer's team have been sort of pushing the idea they're, they're much closer to, to Team Biden. Is it going to be who, uh, a fight on to see who can be uh, Joe Biden's best friend? Yeah, I think there might be a bit of that, though Labour was slightly embarrassed having briefed um, I, the Sunday Times a few weeks ago that they would be going to the inauguration and Boris Johnson's team wouldn't. And then it turned out uh, that actually they're not going uh, after all. So, yeah, there'll be a bit of that. And Theresa May, um, having sort of put the boot into Boris Johnson, also gives them a little bit of uh, material that Starmer can use to bash Boris Johnson as a sort of statesman and world leader and say, you know, um, your predecessor says that... Uh, uh, you've not been doing this the right way, mate. You're sort of diminishing Britain. So, um, you know, if he wants to pick that cricket bat up and wield it, he can do. Uh, and pandemic-wise, uh, having started the year with good vaccine news, um, uh, there's, there's some there's, there's more for Keir Starmer to go at in terms of the rollout of the vaccine. predictability, it's all beginning to go wrong again. Uh, the endless cycle that we've had of this over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, ministers a week ago were cock-a-hoop and telling us how wonderful they were and... Uh, now we're back to that good old-fashioned staple of, of media coverage, the, the postcode lottery. Um, some bits of the country are doing it rather quicker than others. Um, and how they get through that uh, uh, problem is going to be, I would imagine, something, a thread that Starmer would wish to, to pull on today. 
and uh, in terms of the big story of the week, is obviously my report that, Do- uh, that Boris Johnson quite likes having a nap in the afternoon, uh, something that number 10 have denied, although others have got in touch with me to say they're very much uh, no, to be right. Uh, do you think that jo- uh, Keir Starmer doesn't always do the gags? Is it worth him attempting a gag on that this week? Uh, I would have thought so, yes. Um, but as you say, it's not something he tends to uh, seize on. I mean, a lot of politicians doing that job, you know, literally any opportunity for slightly lame humour is grasped and run with. And sometimes it works quite well, even when it's a bit naff, um, because those things can cut through to the public. It's quite an effective way of, you know, if your argument as Keir Starmer is that Boris Johnson's key is not doesn't have his eye on the ball and is a bit lazy, what's what's a good way of getting that to cut through saying the bloke has a kip in the afternoon um you know lots of people have a power nap i've been known to have one myself but i'm pretty sure if i was prime minister i wouldn't be telling anybody about it and yeah, i've well, heard, he's speak- that, I've heard that, I've speaking heard he didn't tell me other people did so i got him no, indeed no no i mean i'm just saying i've i've, I've heard similar rumors i've never been able to fully substantiate them so more power to your elbow but uh, it, it rings true with what i'm told well, I'll tell you what, between you and I, Tim, um, what happened was I'd heard the rumours and then I spoke to someone who who would know and uh, thinking they would just laugh it off and instead got um, a very strange response, which uh, culminated them confirming that, yes, indeed, this did. Not all the time. Very so often, um, if Boris Johnson shut his office door, it was a sign that he was, you know, having a siesta. Although I was really struck that the reaction to it yesterday was quite mixed. Some people saying uh, this was a pu- some sort of puff piece for Boris Johnson. Other people saying it was quite right, you know, powerful people have power naps and other people calling him uh, lazy and useless maybe you know like everything you could just take a news story and just make you know depending on which way you come from it that's how you, that's your reaction well to i'm it. both boris johnson's biggest critic and his biggest lickspittle often in the same story so depends <laughs> often in the eye of the reader uh, but if you think boris johnson having a power nap is strange it, it, go and do some reading on his hero winston churchill who used to do his most productive work between about 11 o'clock at night and three or four o'clock in the morning and slept most of the morning um had gargantuan meals uh, did some of his business in the bath uh, other bits of it naked in front of dignitaries um you know uh, there's a fine tradition of uh, doing things your own <laughs> way um, what's important it, the exactly right so PMQ is slightly late to start today. I think uh, Northern Ireland questions overran, but Boris Johnson is now up in the House of Commons. P- PMQs unpack. What we do is we take a couple of questions or a couple of exchanges, and then we pause the action, and Tim and I will pick over the bones of it all, try and explain what's going on, what they're talking about, and whether or not um, Keir Starmer's jibes are hitting home or if Boris Johnson uh, is is winning the day. And then after the 12.30 news, we'll bring you the best of the rest uh, of the um, of the exchanges, the back to basis, so we don't have to sit through all the boring tedious. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that he's quite good? Uh, so we don't have to listen to those. So we're just waiting for uh, Keir Starmer to pop up in the House of Commons uh, chamber. Uh, as Tim was just saying, we, we expect Joe Biden's inauguration to come up, probably something on vaccinations, but whether or not he will venture a joke on uh, Boris Johnson's habit of having a nap in the afternoon, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Let's dip into the House of Commons uh, and wait to hear uh, uh, Keir Starmer, the Labour leader. It's PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. ...over the forthcoming school holidays, thanks to the winter grant fund provided to lead to council by this government. Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. I can confirm that eligible pupils in Leeds will continue to receive free school meal support over the February half-term, and this Conservative government has given over £2 million to Leeds City Council through the Covid winter grant scheme to support vulnerable families in the coldest months, and it is the intention of this government, this side of the House, that no child should go hungry this winter as a result of the Covid pandemic. Let's come to the leader of the opposition. Alex Shelbrooke. Now let's go to Keir Starmer. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I also welcome the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris? It's a victory uh, for hope over hate and a real moment for optimism in the US and around the world. Can I also thank the, though all of those on the front line helping to deliver the vaccine, including the NHS, who are also doing so much to keep us safe under the most extraordinary pressure. Mr Speaker, it's 10 days since the Home Office mistakenly deleted hundreds of thousands of vital criminal records, including fingerprints, crime scene data and DNA records. So can the Prime Minister tell the House how many criminal investigations could have been damaged by this mistake? Well, Mr Speaker, the uh, Home Office is uh, actively working to assess the damage and as the right honourable gentleman will, uh, will know from the uh, urgent question that was ha held in the House only a few days ago, uh, they believe that they will be able to uh, rectify the uh, results of this, uh, this complex incident and uh, there is, they hope very much that they will be able to uh, restore uh, the data in question. Keir Starmer. Okay, let's jump in there and pause uh, for the first. Quite a lot to unpick from Keir Starmer there. Um, Tim Shipman, uh, hailing Joe Biden's um, arrival as president is a victory of hope over hate. Also going out of his way to thank the vaccination staff because that's the sort of thing that Boris Johnson would accuse him of not doing, you know, of not yeah, praising uh, people yeah, how it's going well. Yeah. And then latching on to one of the things that we didn't predict would come up. But there is a huge story, this, and in normal times, but not for the pandemic, um, it would be a gargantuan story, this, of the, of the Home Office losing tens of thousands of pieces of uh, data. Yeah, I mean, you think back to when John Reid declared the Home Office not fit for purpose. Um, that was a bunch of lost disks and data back then. Um, We've had Home Secretaries resign for a lot less than what has just taken place. But because of COVID and what's happening in the US, um, it's a sort of third order story. But it's actually a very good one for Starmer to pick into at PMQs. Uh, the problem is, uh, if one watched the uh, and listened to the Home Secretary in her various broadcast performances this morning, it's not entirely clear that the Home Office have answers to any of these questions. Um, and if they have, it doesn't sound like they've passed them on to the Prime Minister yet. So I don't know how many questions Starmer is planning to ask about this, but I will now make a bold prediction that the answers he receives will be a big fat zero. <laughs> It's also interesting as well, some of the Tory MPs I've, I've heard from, normally, you know, Tory MPs are big fans of Pretty Patel, but they are pretty exasperated about this. Um, you know, this goes right to the heart of the Tories and being the party of law and order and, and Pretty Patel shaking up the home. She's been there a little while now, and this is a, you know, pretty, pretty catastrophic um, uh, mess on her watch. Let's go uh, back now to uh, Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, that's not an answer to my question. And it was the most basic of questions. It was the first question that any Prime Minister would have asked of those briefing him. How many criminal investigations have been damaged? So, so let me ask the second basic question that any Prime Minister would have asked those briefing him. How many convicted criminals have had their records wrongly deleted? I answered the first question entirely accurately, Mr. Speaker. We don't know how many uh, how many cases might be frustrated as a result of what has happened, but I can tell him that there are 213,000 offence records, 175,000 arrest records, and 15,000 person records are currently being investigated uh, because they are the subject of uh, this this problem. Yes, sir. 
So um, Keir Starmer says you didn't answer the question. And Boris Johnson says, I did. I told you we don't know. Yeah, well, actually, to be fair to him, that is the correct answer. I mean, they don't seem to know. Um, the Home Office don't seem to know. Um, uh, I suspect Boris Johnson has asked precisely the same question that Keir Starmer has asked. Um, the problem is the system doesn't know. Now, this could either be because it's a catastrophic a computer problem or some form of human error um but certainly Tory MPs will be wondering whether this is uh bureaucrats inside the home office making life difficult for the home secretary who's made their lives very difficult uh, in return um and if it starts to look like it's that um then this will have uh, even more legs and you sort of you do wonder I'm just trying to think what day was it, it was one day last week wasn't it the times broke this story it's been you know it, it's not like it's only in today's papers for, for the Prime no, Minister. I mean, to... It was running Friday, Saturday. We wrote a bit in the Sunday Times um, saying that they might have to manually input, find all these records in other databases and type them all in separately, which could take quite some time. Um, there seems to be optimism from what Patel was saying earlier that they will be able to track these uh, records somehow. But clearly not having them all in the same place is a massive issue. Um, uh, and uh, Starmer is scored some runs already yeah how many criminal investigations have been endangered by it how many criminals have wrongly had their records deleted these are proper you know straight to the heart of the party of law and order and their and their ability to to you know ensure the criminal justice system uh, works let's go uh, back to the house of commons now let's see um what kiss time is gonna have a go at this time mr speaker i have a letter here from the national police chiefs council it makes it clear that 403,000 records from the police national computer may have been deleted. In addition to that, in addition to that, Prime Minister, this is from the National Police Chiefs Council. I'm sure has been briefed on this. In addition to that, 26,000 DNA records from the DNA uh, database and 30,000 fingerprint records from the fingerprints database. So this isn't just a technical issue. It's about criminals not being caught and victims not getting justice. This letter makes clear that it includes data from criminals convicted of serious offences. It has impacted live police investigations already, and it includes records, including DNA, marked for indefinite retention following the conviction for serious offences. Mr Speaker, that's the most serious offences. That's why it's indefinite retention. It's been deleted. So is the Prime Minister seriously telling us that 10 days after this incident came to light, he still hasn't got to the bottom of the basic question and he can't tell us how many cases have been lost, how many serious offenders this concerns and how many police investigations have been investigated? So let's just uh, jump in next. There's quite a lot. I mean, it's interesting in terms of the, the politics of this, the way that Keir Starmer, lots of people said when he first became Labour leader as a as a former barrister, he could sort of prosecute a case. And that's what he's doing here. Each time he asks Boris Johnson a question, he doesn't know the answer. And he's sort of mounting the case. I mean, pointing out uh, that um, some of these records that have been lost are DNA samples uh, from serious offenders that, were, that should have been kept indefinitely, presumably to see uh, so they could be um, uh, checked against uh, future or other offences. This is serious stuff, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, no, it's very serious stuff. And uh, you have to say um, that some of the media outlets that cheerlead for the government would, if this were a Labour government, be finding out precisely who these people were and doing huge spreads about, um, uh, you know, the the rapists and paedophiles who are now uh, potentially going to get away with other crimes um so yeah when when the full details emerge 
heads are going to roll. The question is how high up the, the food chain do those heads roll? Um, the question for me is in this PMQs really is, is Starmer building up to calling for Pretty Patel's head or not? Yeah, and uh, and it tends to be if the leader of the opposition calls someone to go, it slightly helps them stay in their job, at least in the in the short term. Let's go back and see what Bo- if Boris Johnson had any answer to these questions. Mr Speaker, it's becoming a feature of the Right Honourable Gentleman's questions that he fails to listen to the answer that I have just given. And uh, let me re- repeat, because uh, he said that he, I think he gave a figure of 413,000. I've just done uh, some, so, some maths in, in, uh, briefly in my, in my head. And if you look at the, if you add uh, 213,000 to 175,000, uh, you get uh, to, uh, plus 15,000, which are the numbers I get, Mr Speaker, you get to 403,000. If only he bothered uh, to do that essential, that, that swift computation in his head, uh, he would have had the answer before he stood up and claimed not to receive it. It was there in the previous answer, Mr Speaker. Uh, of course, uh, of course it is outrageous that uh, any data should have been uh, lost, but at the moment uh, we are trying, as I said in my first answer, Mr Speaker, we're trying, which I I hope he heard and we're trying to retrieve that data so so interesting but uh, boris johnson they're calling it outweighed i'm not actually sure that getting into an argument about maths is necessarily the thrust of what keir starmer was getting at uh, he does appear to have got his maths right though i was scribbling it down and uh, <laughs> but, uh, if, if every leader of the opposition is expected to understand the argument inherent within the prime minister's argument rather than the one he's actually sort of precisely making um Equally, he could have tossed up the numbers before he gave his previous answer. Anyway, it's all a slightly um, uh, pointless farrago. Uh, it's a dangerous game playing with numbers when you're a politician. You know, people tend to have a habit of getting them wrong uh, and uh, looking a bit silly. Uh, but again, a, a little bit of showmanship from Johnson actually to sort of cover up the fact that, you know, we still don't know the fundamental answer to the first question. Yeah, so Keir Starmer is there saying, well, what, what has happened to these 403,000 cases? And Boris Johnson said, well, I did say 403,000, but I just did it in three different What's numbers. Just do the math. They've now been added up by the Prime Minister. Um, yeah, um, so he says it's outrageous, but doesn't know what's happened to them or whether or not we'll be able to get them back. Uh, let's see if uh, Keir Starmer sticks with this with his next question. In the House complains about not listening to answers. The figure I quoted was 403,000. That'll be in Hansard. So, Prime Minister, uh, uh, that was the figure, plus the 26,000, plus... I said 403,000, plus 26,000, plus 30,000. Let yeah, me try the next Hansard, one. of course, is the record from the House of Commons, which you can reread this uh, fascinating exchange about, uh, about numbers uh, later, I'm if you want bother, to. but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A simple about question, Prime Minister, that you would have asked of anyone briefing. How long... How long will it take for all the wrongly deleted records to be re- reinstated to the police database? Well, uh, speaker, that will depend on uh, how long uh, it takes to recover them. I can tell them that people are working around uh, the clock, having been briefed on this both by uh, my staff and also, of course, by the, uh, the policing minister. Uh, we're working around the clock on this, on this issue. And uh, any loss of, of data is, of course, unacceptable. But it is this government, thanks to the robust, the strong economy that we've had uh, for the last few years, that we've been able to invest massively in policing and to drive uh, crime down. Uh, and that is the most important thing of all, Mr Speaker. And I, and I have no doubt uh, that we will be able to continue to do that by relying on excellent data. Yes, Dharma. Well, that answer for Boris Johnson was, was slightly better than how long's a piece of string, but not much. 
Um, also, uh, it strikes me, uh, Tim, that if we, he's referring to who's briefed him on this by my staff and the policing minister. Of course, that's Kit Malthouse. It doesn't sound like he's spoken to Pretty Patel about it. Uh, no, which is interesting if that is true. Um, Malthouse, of course, is an old compadre of Johnson's from when they uh, were in City Hall and uh, Malthouse was the deputy mayor for policing, amongst other roles. Um, and Malthouse is a little bit of a confidant of Johnson and is tipped to get into the cabinet at some point. Uh, one wonders whether this might be the opportunity um, uh, to step up um, and help solve this problem. Um, yeah, I mean, the Home Secretary is admired by lots of Tories because she is a sort of pretty strident. Um, she serves a role in banging the drum for tough on crime. Um, but this starts to look not tough on crime. And uh, if your usefulness is uh, uh, in that role is exhausted, then, you know, I mean, I've twice predicted in print that, that Pretty Patel be moved from Home Secretary at the next reshuffle. Um, this might mean that that reshuffle happens a little bit sooner. Right, again, I think you have to suspect you're right. Let's see if uh, Keir Starmer's got any more ammunition in his bag. The Home Secretary said that the Home Office was still washing through the data, we don't know where the records are, and they may have to be, if you can believe this, re-entered manually, which will obviously take a long, long time. The letter from the National Police uh, Chiefs Council also makes clear that the obvious place to reinstate from, which is the DNA database, the fingerprint database have themselves also been compromised and so his answers needs to be seen in that light. Mr Speaker let me turn to another of the Home Secretary's responsibilities. Last night the Home Secretary told a Conservative Party event that and these were her words on should we have closed our borders earlier the answer is yes I was an advocate says the Home Secretary of closing them last March. Why did the Prime Minister Overall, the Home Secretary. Mr Speaker, I think it was uh, last March that the Right Honourable Gentleman, along with uh, many others, was actually saying that we didn't need uh, to close borders. But as, as usual, uh, Captain Hindsight has, has changed his tune to see... Ah, Captain uh, Hindsight. Uh, we are facing... Uh, we are facing and it's interesting that his first few questions were about a computer glitch uh, in the Home Office, Mr Speaker, which we're trying to recognize. We're in the middle of a national pandemic. And, we're, uh, and this country is facing a very, very grave death toll. And we are doing everything we can to protect the British public, which is, I think, what he would, uh, he would expect. And that's why uh, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world. That's why we insist that you have to get a test uh, 72 hours before you, uh, before you, you fly. Uh, there must be a passenger uh, locator form, which you have to provide, Mr Speaker, and then you must quarantine uh, for 10 days or five days if you do a second, uh, a second test. And uh, it's all very, I, I'm delighted that he now praises uh, the Home Secretary. It's kind of a change of tune uh, from the Right Honourable uh, Gentleman. I, and I'm delighted that he's now in favour of tough border controls, because he wasn't last year, uh, Mr Speaker, and indeed uh, he campaigned for the leadership of the Labour Party on a manifesto to get back to free movement, Mr Speaker. Oh, we, well, we ticked off uh, quite a lot in there in the, um, the Boris Johnson drinking game. So we had Captain Hindsight, uh, we had a, a reference to um, free movement and Brexit, which wasn't really what we were talking about. Um, uh, interesting that Boris Johnson is now brushing aside the, uh, the big issue of these missing criminal records as a computer glitch and suggesting that um, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so let's focus on that. Yes, um, uh, he's had a hard time on COVID the last few weeks, but it's now, please ask me about COVID, please. <laughs> you know, that'll be a bit easier than what we're going through here. 
And also, of course, what Keir Starmer's doing isn't really siding with Priti Patel on the question of whether or not the border should have been shut last March, although lots of people uh, think that maybe they should have been. He's trying to, to again drive a wedge between the Prime Minister and the Home Secretary. Yes, it's all part of the same game. Um, and the, the joy of being uh, an opposition leader is you can flip from one side of the board to the other and uh, take uh, lumps out of the, the Prime Minister from all sides. Um, uh, this will, uh, you know, it's not a terribly comfortable experience for Boris Johnson and it wasn't terribly comfortable pretty Patel uh, in the performances I uh, listened to this morning. Um, but, um, you know, we'll see how this pans out. Can they find this data? If not, um, when we find out what really happened and why, then uh, someone is going to pay uh, a heavy price for that, I think. Yeah, that, um, that, that recording was Priti Patel uh, last night speaking to the Conservative Friends of Israel group, uh, a call which was then, as well as the trouble with video calls these days, was leaked to the Guido Fawkes uh, website. Uh, she said that, um, yeah, she was an advocate of closing the last. We don't actually know, actually, if that's the case, or she's also... Well, I, I believe um, that is the case. I had someone get in touch with me over the weekend complaining about, because um, I we wrote in the Sunday Times about further tougher border controls, and one of Patel's mates, I should stress not someone who actually works for her, got in touch and said, look, she was advocating uh, closing them last March, and that person blamed Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, saying he was putting the interests of the airlines ahead of the interests of the country on COVID, uh, which was uh, another twist to the to the game. Oh, that's interesting. That is interesting. I mean, I mean, generally, as a general rule, Pritch Patel wants to close the borders. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a sort of, that's a given. So ironically, uh, of course, Tory MPs are frustrated with her because on things like asylum seekers, she's signally failed to do so. So it's yeah, uh, yeah. Um, um, so let's go back then. The last, uh, the last question from uh, Keir Starmer. Talks of hindsight. What the prime, what the Home Secretary said last night, Prime Minister. It's not disputed. It's not disputed is that she was saying last March, this is not hindsight, she, the Home Secretary, was saying to the Prime Minister, you need to shut your borders. She was saying it. So I repeat the question the Prime Minister avoided. Why did, he, why did he overrule the Home Secretary who claims that she said last March that we should shut our borders? Mr Speaker, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world and it was only last March that he, along with many others in his party, uh, were continuing to support uh, an open border approach. And I must say that the whole uh, experience of listening to the right honourable gentleman over the last few months uh, has, has really been uh, like listening to a, a, a weather vane, watching a weather vane spin round and round depending on where the, the, the breezes uh, are, are blowing. And we're getting on, Mr Speaker, uh, with tackling this pandemic through the most practical means that are available to us, rolling out a vaccine programme that has now inoculated 4.2 million people in our country. And uh, whereas he would have joined uh, the EU scheme, if I seem to remember, he attacked the vaccine task force, uh, which secured the supplies on which we are now relying. And uh, he stood on a manifesto, Mr Speaker, at the last election uh, to unbundle the very uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, on whose breakthroughs this country is now relying. They continue to look backwards, uh, to play politics, and to snipe from the sidelines, we look forwards and get on with the job. Yeah. Oh, I know, that's the trouble with politicians. They do have a habit of playing politics. Um, it'd be terrible, really. People ought to stop doing that, leaders of the opposition uh, playing politics. Um, interesting how um, uh, uh, Boris Johnson accusing Keir Starmer of blowing around like a weather vane. This feels to me like one of the the, the, the most 
I'm going to say feeble, but Boris Johnson being blown around quite a lot today, actually. Maybe he just wasn't expecting too many questions on this this Home Office debacle. Yeah, he didn't sound terribly well prepared. Um, Boris Johnson, of course, is tends to be described as a shopping trolley with a with a, a wobbly wheel when he's veering from side to side. Um, and Keir Starmer is obviously a weather vane. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's pretty easy to say that Starmer has uh, taken this one uh, fairly cleanly on points. Um, uh, no knockout blows because there isn't the sort of yet the the, the real evidence of why this. Uh, cock up has happened but he's had a lot of fun uh, sticking spears into the bull today um, and the bull is dancing around and not liking it very much do you think if you're trying to uh sort of separate pretty patel from the rest of from the prime minister and uh potentially tory mps reminding the house of commons and the public at large that she wants to close the borders last year it, tactically is that a good move by keir starmer do you think it might be better if he sort of left that alone and just focused on the on, on problems at the Home Office rather than then suggesting that Priti Patel had got something right? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think that was a mistake. When we talked at the top, there are lots of other things he could have gone on. Um, and um, I think, you know, that cements support for Priti Patel on the back benches. Now, he hasn't called for her to go and he'll be able to, if she does go or she gets moved in the next reshuffle, he'll be able to look back at this and say, you know, we helped contribute to her downfall. But... Um, uh, by you know, basically, what he's done here, which is quite clever, is to give Boris Johnson an awkward, embarrassing time. And Boris Johnson will go back uh, to uh, you know, he'll drift away from his microphone to his sofa, and he'll be pretty peeved and irritated at Pretty Patel for having put him in the position of having to go through this rather unpleasant thirty minutes. Um, and that sort of thing annoys prime ministers and makes it much more likely that they will be moved. And by not actually calling for her to go, but making his life uncomfortable, I think Starmer has made it slightly more likely that she will go. And if the Labour Party machine is working properly, they will be toiling out every uh, home office um, uh, to, you know, mistake, glitch, whatever you want to call it, every, every uh, parliamentary answer, e- every freedom of information request that exposes failure at the home office. And you'd be rolling them out now. You'd be in receipt of some by the weekend to sort of mount the sort of drip, drip, drip of this is, again, as you were saying, a home office not fit for purposes. John Reed. Well, yeah, and if ago. there are officials there who are sympathetic to the Labour Party, who don't like Pretty Patel, um, you know, um, my phone is on. Um, and I'm sure the uh, the leader of the opposition's, you know, office um, is on receive as well. It will be interesting to see if things start to leak, if an explanation for what really happened here emerges. Um, and if the Labour Party is on top of its game and has contacts in the home office, um, it will be interesting to see if they can start to get you know, some of the information uh, that will move this from an awkward and embarrassing experience uh, for the Prime Minister into one where he feels he needs to do something about it. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, you can listen on DAB Radio, on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription to get that. Go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Mm-hmm.